0: Let me ask you a question really quick. Um, And, uh, you know, again, speaking from experience on this one um, and for the listener's sake is how do you kind of find that line between delegating clearly and micromanaging? For example, Mm -hmm. I have a task I need somebody to do. I trust them to do the task, but it does need to be done at least to a certain certain way or a certain method for it to be effective. But I also, I don't want to control it because if I'm controlling it and doing everything about it, I'll just do it myself. It's quicker and easier. So how, how do you, how do you find skirt that fine line there? That gray area. It's
1: a beautiful question. Um, the first thing that you've got to ask is what is good enough and who defines what is good enough?
2: Hey, what's up everyone. Welcome back to the same mentors podcast. My name is Matt Graves and my co-host each week's Kyle Grandel. I'm two for two, two weeks in a row. I didn't screw it up. Here we go. We're on a roll. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to put one of those whiteboards behind me where, you know, it's like it's two weeks since the last uh, screwed up intro.
0: Well, that sounds good. And I'll get one, too, that has my name, like, you know, phonetically, um, or, <laughs> you know, how, how to say it. That way you can't screw it up going forward either. But, Matt, question for you this week. What's your favorite sport and why?
2: Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite sport. I like all sports. And I like baseball right now because the Astros are – not winning but they're still in it um i'm a big rugby fan although i haven't got to watch any of the world cup that's currently going on because i have a a life and i make podcasts and do a bunch of other stuff so i have no other life um a football fan fantasy football is in full swing right now so anyway i like sports go sports well, way
0: to not answer the question. I'm trying to get our listeners to get to know you a little bit, but you just kind of skirted right by it. So
2: it will just, no, skip I threw, a lot of, of I threw a lot of, I threw a lot of, I was like a politician. I threw a lot of stuff out there so people can connect with different angles.
0: Holy crap. All so right. if they hate
2: me for the Astros bit, they'll like me for something else maybe. Oh yeah.
0: The Astros. I don't want to talk to you anymore.
2: So what's your favorite sport and why do you like hockey? There you go. You nailed it. <laughs> can, can I just say it's because our state's the best at it? Or is, is, that, is that a good answer? <laughs> when you live somewhere like that, it's like our, you can't fish because the ponds froze over. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll just put on ice skates and go.
0: Well, to, hey, to, to be fair, in Minnesota, it's all we got, man. Our football's not any good. <laughs> Baseball, we, you know, we thought we were good. Then you guys kicked us out. So you know what? It's all we got. I'm going to stick with hockey.
2: That's funny. So this week's guest is Eric Anderton. Eric, before you give us a ba- uh, background yourself, what's your favorite sport?
1: I would say it is probably – it's a close tie between Premier League soccer and um, and then the NFL. Close tie. I got you.
2: Both good. Yeah. Both good. Soccer comes on on Sunday mornings, and I catch it every now and then. I like the World Cup. When the World Cup happens, I get all interested, but – that's about my extent.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and, and, and I got to
0: tell you, watching, watching soccer in, in person is a totally different experience um, than you know on TV or something, it's just having done it. So I, I totally, I can agree with soccer being up there. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it is fun. It's a lot of fun. Especially if you've played and you, you uh, it's like with any sport, if you've ever played a sport and then you watch people who are really good playing it, you appreciate how difficult what they're doing is. Oh, yeah.
2: Yes. That's like I played rugby through college, and then I played men's club after that, and now I'm just a middle-aged fat guy who tries now and (laughs) then. I watch the real guys know what they're doing, and what what position did you play in rugby? Uh, Depends on my weight at the time. I've played everywhere. (laughs) When I first started playing, I was a wing and a fullback because I was fast, and then I gained weight and found out what beer is and all that sort of stuff so i moved closer and closer to the forwards and then in men's club i played i played in the forwards i played in the backs i played That's funny because i started
1: playing rugby when i was like um, 11 and i went the opposite direction i was a fat kid so i started playing prop and then when i finished i was like number eight scrum half you know (laughs) (laughs)
2: when i when i uh i took a couple years off and i came back uh, from playing, and I had been playing in the backs, and I told their team, I was like, you know, I'll play anywhere you want me to. I don't want to play in the front row. I don't want to be a prop. And I said, fine, how about second row? And I was like, I think this is even worse. <laughs> but anyway, we just lost half the list, right. so No one cares about that. So <laughs> the, the, the 1% of people from the UK that follow this, like, are right. probably interested. So other than that, the other
1: 95%, we lost them.
2: So Eric, you want to give us a little bit of a bio or background of yourself? Yeah, so I started working with
1: contractors in 2004. I was selling a leadership development program. um, And my first client was a construction contractor, um, LB Construction out of Sacramento that does uh, commercial framing. And I just fell in love with working with contractors. So I don't have a construction background as far as the technical side of it, but it's the people side that I focus on. Um, In 2013, I I started my own gig. Um, LB Construction is still my client today. And... um, I just love serving construction companies and helping them with their leadership.
0: How did you end up in in construction, Um, you know, as far as going that that route for leadership training?
1: Um, Because I I resonate with contractors. I'm a pretty simple guy, pretty straightforward. Most contractors are, you know, pretty straightforward in the way that they communicate. Um, And I really respect what contractors do. I I love the the thought of being able to drive down the road and look at something and say, hey, I built that. Um, and then not only that, but just the idea of the positive impact that contractors have on the, um, the, the, the environment, the world that we live in, in terms of not only the, the buildings themselves, but then the families that are supported. I think it's a tremendously positive um, industry and, you know, it's a privilege for me to serve it. Right. Excellent. It's funny, I, I heard a
2: term probably within the last year, and it's probably after I got on LinkedIn and started being more involved in LinkedIn and stuff. Somebody says something about the built world. I'm like, what the hell is a built world? And they're like, well, it's everything is built. And I was like, that's just the real world. But I was like, what? Anyway. So anyways, uh, we were talking about before you logged on kind of what your bread and butter is, and you were talking about, you know, it's whenever, it's something I've definitely seen is, you know, somebody, whenever they're, you know, a project manager, right, and they're used to leading a project or maybe a project team, and they may get promoted into some sort of middle management or even move companies maybe to a, you know executive role, vice president, or even start their own business. And that's a whole different skill set. And um, so you're talking about that's kind of your bread and butter. It's kind of leading people through that. Yeah, I call it the
1: shift. Um, you, have to, you have to shift from from building projects to building teams of people. And um, if you're a good technical builder and, and you, you know how to bring in a project on time and, and make some money on it, that's that's awesome. But that doesn't... Give you the skills necessarily to build and lead a team of people and and that shift is tremendously challenging uh, particularly for engineer types or perhaps more process oriented than they are people oriented and i help them specifically to make that shift
2: that's awesome have you seen i mean a lot of times if you're on if you're a project manager or something like that in construction you're always dealing with leading a team of people anyway what kind of differences do you see from leading like a project team to leading a sort of say a That's a great question
1: because you, you are right. You know, so I might have a project engineer working with me. I'm talking to my subs and, or my uh, supers or my foreman all day. So there is that communication aspect. But when I, it's interesting when I, when, when you get promoted into a, a more senior role, you're actually taken out of what you like to do, which is work on the projects. And you have to accomplish more through others. And so a lot of people who get promoted into this new leadership role, they can get stuck in micromanagement. Um, Because they know how to do things very well. In fact, they're probably in the role because they're extremely competent. And they're looking at the issues that the people who report to them are going through and they're thinking, I know exactly how to fix this, let me take care of it. And that really defeats the whole purpose of them being in leadership, which is to, to develop other people to take care of those issues. Yeah.
0: And and a second ago, you talked a little bit about like, you know, different types that come into that, into that, that role, you know, engineers, um, project managers from construction companies, et cetera. Have you seen certain types maybe that, um, I find it more challenging, Uh, maybe ones that it comes a little more naturally to any, any trends like that, that you've seen.
1: Um, again, I think it's from person to person. Um, I, I think, again, some people are more um, things oriented and some people are more people oriented and, um, if you're more things-oriented, obviously, the more people that you have to work with, it's kind of like what you get a vibe from. you know. So, some people enjoy working with people, and so they want to do it more, whereas some people enjoy working with things. And so that's the challenge they have, because they have to understand, I'm no longer the project manager. I'm the project executive or area manager that's developing this team of project managers, and I need to be really focusing on delegation, on holding people accountable, on running effective meetings, on um, having difficult conversations—that's really my gig now. I'm no longer a builder of projects. I'm a builder of people.
2: Hmm. It's. Would you say percentage-wise, how many people make that shift easily, and how many people are like struggling and almost go want to go That's backwards? Funny you say that?
1: Because you know, I I can. I can just picture someone coming back into the office of, let's say, you know, you're the president. You've just promoted someone to project the executive, and six months in, the guys in your office and saying, "Dude, can you just send me back to work on a project because I'm I'm not enjoying this." Um, and so I I think the percentage of people who struggle is actually fairly high. Um, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it 80-20, yeah. um, but again, for, for even for people who are people oriented. Leadership is a deep challenge, because what you have to do is you have to help people overcome the limitations of their own selfishness and weakness and fear and all these kinds of things and get them to do better things than they can on their own. And so we're we're dealing with people. And if you you look in the mirror, you know that you're challenged. So you've got now six to eight people reporting to you. They're challenged as well. And you've got to help work through those challenges and get the best out of that team.
2: It's something i've seen as i you know kind of came from a subcontractor world over because my, my whole career was like in the being a project manager on a subcontractor side and then i came to the owner's rep side in the last five years and it's when you're on the subcontractor side like you just go do it you just get the job done just do it do it do it do it and you've got a lot of stuff you've got to do yourself right or your team does you come to the owner's rep side and you're less you're doing less but it's you're trying to empower motivate encourage the rest of the project team to do their job and do stuff is yeah. Like, it's almost probably a yeah, parallel. Yeah, it's interesting because
1: I teach my 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 clients a very simple communication framework, um, and I and I do think the key to leadership is being an effective communicator, and it's very simple to to remember. I call it the ear framework. So if you just grab your ear um, and think about how that's spelled, it's spelled E A R. I, I know I'm not a. Not complicated when it comes to spelling. The E, the E stands <laughs> for encouragement, um, the A stands for accountability, and the R stands for recognition. So those are the three types of conversations that I'm having with people every single day as a leader. So the encouragement conversation is looking at someone, giving them the tools and resources they need, and then saying to them, you can do it. And then the accountability conversation is um, after they've done it or attempted to do it, you ask them, did you do it? And then the recognition conversation is, you did it. (laughs) And so those are the three things that I need to be talking to people every day. You can do it. Did you do it? You did it. And if I can consistently understand how to communicate those messages, then that's going to elevate my leadership game quite considerably.
2: What's the hardest part of communication in your eyes? Um, (laughs) I
1: think what's really interesting, and this is particularly true for technically skilled people, is that... Um If you've been working in construction long enough, you are doing things every single day and you don't even know what it is that you're doing in the sense that it's just it becomes instinctual to you. You've gone through this situation so many mm-hmm. times, you know exactly how to handle it, what to say, what not to say. Your intuition has been trained so that when you're in a conflict with someone, whether it's an owner or whether it's a sub or whatever the case is, you know how far to go, how you know what, what to push, what not to push, when to give someone a little bit of, you know, something on a change order, when to stand your ground and say, no way, this is how we're going to do it. And, and that takes time and repetition. Right. And so when you're, when you're in a leadership role, how is it that I can then begin to articulate to my team and communicate clearly what I'm doing instinctively. That's often a really deep challenge. Yeah
2: what's the answer? Because I've struggled with that myself where, you know, I'm given an intern or, you know, kind of a, you know, more of like an entry-level guy and they say, just teach them everything, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool. What do I, how do I start? Where do I start? Yeah. So
1: I think one of the most effective ways to do that is, is to, there's a three-step process in terms of training someone in anything that you can use. And, and it's, and it's, it it's something that, that I've seen work many, many times. The first one is, I'm gonna take that intern or that PE, especially someone like fresh out of college, right? They're fresh out of college, they got a degree, mm-hmm. depending on their level of cockiness, they either think they know it all or they're you know, kind of intimidated, just depending. There's always that spectrum. And uh, I'm gonna take it with me, right? So I, I know that I've got a conversation with an owner or a sub or a super or a foreman that's not gonna be easy. I want them to observe me having that conversation. Particularly if I know that this is exactly the type of conversation they're going to have to get very good at having. And then the next time it comes up, I'm going to go with them and observe them having the conversation. And then we can give them feedback afterwards and debrief on how it went. And then hopefully at that point, and this again is not necessarily you know you only have to do this with three conversations. It may be multiple conversations, but at some point because they've observed you doing it, you've observed them doing it, they're then free to be able to do it themselves with a framework of understanding with regards to how to deal with a particular situation, and they can then be free to do it themselves without you there, and you can just get their feedback on how it went afterwards.
2: You know, we started this off talking about sports, and I see, there's always so many parallels between construction and sports, so, you know, construction management and sports, and I'm sitting here thinking like, I mean, I coach my boys Little League baseball team, and it's almost the same thing, right? Like, we're going to do a new drill. Like, all right, watch me. Everybody watch me. Everybody and then you gotta everybody, watch me, right? I'm going to do it a couple times. You see how I do it. All right, now you do it once, and I'll kind of coach you on it. Like, all right, now you all go run through the drill. And so it's almost the exact same thing. Yeah, it's and interesting
1: then, because that, that's another one of the frameworks that I teach my, my clients is, is a high-performance framework, where if you think about in sports, go back to Little League, right? I, I mean, I've had my kids go through Little League, and you know when, when we're talking about what you're doing while you're playing the game, there's only so many things that you can control. So what you're looking for is you're looking to focus on the tasks that you can execute well that will lead to the outcomes that you're looking for. So if my outcome is to get on base, my task is to see the ball and hit the ball. And you know in baseball, I mean, you can, you can get a, a pitch, and you can just nail the pitch. But if you hit it right towards the shortstop, the guy's going to catch it and get you out. So, you can do everything right and not achieve right. your outcome. That's just part of life, right? And so, what's really key when you're yeah. looking to develop your leaders in terms of, of outcomes that you're, you want them to achieve is, is to help them identify the tasks that lead to the outcome. So, I'll sit down with someone I'm coaching and I'll say, hey, listen, what are the top three outcomes you're expected to achieve in your position? And maybe if I'm a project manager, I've, I've got to take care of my schedule. I've got to make sure my customer service is great. And then maybe I've got to communicate well with the field. You know, just Let's just say those are three outcomes. So communicate with the field, make sure I'm taking care of the owner, make sure my schedule's all dialed in, my planning's dialed in. OK, so pick one of those as your top outcome, whichever it may be. So let's say it's customer service. I need to upgrade my customer service on this project, because this customer, they're going to have five more projects in the next six years, and we want to be on each one of those projects. So then I'm I'm going to ask them, what tasks lead to excellent customer service? What tasks lead to excellent customer service? And I'll ask them to identify their top three tasks. And so let's say this particular customer is kind of anal and they really want all the reports done in a particular way and communicated to them in an efficient manner at a particular day and time every week. Then I'm going to ask the person, okay, so that's your top task that leads to your outcome of um, customer service. Tell me how you can improve your performance of that task. And so maybe it's going to be like, okay, the one thing I need to do is I just need to sit down on Friday afternoon from 1 PM to 2 PM to go through everything that got accomplished on that project during that week, make sure that I got my report dialed in so I can email it off to the client, communicate to them, and they're going to be satisfied. So again, I'm, I'm thinking about most important outcome, most important task that leads to that outcome, and then how can I improve my performance of my most important task that leads to my most important outcome?
0: Well, it, it's, it's so simple, but it's genius because, I mean, our focus gets tugged in 30 different directions all the time. And so you end up with this vision of, I don't know what to go t- what to tackle next because this is a problem. This is a problem. That's a problem. But the focus is on, like you're saying, what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve and how do we get those tasks done to create that outcome? It's genius.
1: Yeah, and that that focus is the key, right? Because you just described a construction project wonderfully. There's all this stuff going on that's out of my control. And so that's why I have to identify what it is that I control and then assert as much control over that as possible.
2: I love it. I'm going to take a break right quick, and we're going to play Kyle's meme game. Just I don't know why this felt like the time to do it. So Eric, I don't know if you've followed this, but so sometime during, it's always a, whenever I feel like it, I show a meme to Kyle and he has to describe it to everybody who is listening to the audio podcast and not watching the YouTube video. It's my secret way of trying to get people to go watch the YouTube video and give me some extra YouTube there views. There you go. It's not, it's <laughs> not working. Though. The views are going down. So it's, It is. Unsubscribing left and right.
0: I tried. It didn't let me.
2: you know you I keep getting you unsubscribing I keep signing you back up Um, and then I always fool around I can't remember how to share it which which is the most fun that I get
0: to have actually
2: there we go all right and I don't know
0: who is this by the way do you know who's this character
2: this character (laughs) I don't know it's it's just one of those memes, man.
0: Well, okay, I'm going to try to describe the character, too. So it's almost like a Muppet-looking guy. Like a Muppet monkey. Yeah, um, like a, Muppet, yeah, like a Muppet. We'll call it a Muppet monkey. That, that, that's good. That's a good one. So what we have here is uh, the top tagline. is. He's probably named Kyle. What's that? No.
2: It's probably No, named no, Kyle. no, no, no,
0: no, no. It's definitely a Matt. Um, so we have the, the tagline, the doctor's. Googling stuff online does not make you a doctor and then engineers. And it's the, uh, the Muppet monkey kind of doing one of these things. Like, Oh, are you you talking about me? (laughs) Muppet monkey. There we go.
2: I don't know why I saw that. And it, it just, I don't know.
0: made me think of you. I'm deeply, uh, you've touched me in a way that I can't even describe because too much much profanity.
2: (laughs) A lot of words that we, you can't say on the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, Eric, I was want to ask. So you wrote the book, Construction yes. Genius. I have not read the book. What's, can you tell everybody what the book's yeah, about? Yeah, it's
1: effective, hands-on, practical, simple, no BS, leadership, strategy, sales, and marketing advice for construction companies.
2: That's a, quite a title. Yeah, that's actually
1: a no title. Is- and then I'll, t- I'll tell you where I got it from. Um, I was. I, I did a leadership course online, and one of my clients. I asked them afterwards for some feedback, and he told me, um, "Your training is effective, hands-on, practical, simple, and no BS." So I thought, "Hmm, I think that's the, the tagline for my book."
0: <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> How did you get into the book idea to begin with?
1: Well, I, I think as, as you know, doing what I do as a, a trainer and as a coach and things like that, it, it's part of my. It's part of my marketing funnel, but it's a way of, of being able to communicate the value that I, I provide. And um, one of the things that people have been doing—I I didn't actually come up with this idea, but it's turned into a marketing thing for me—is um, they've been purchasing like copies for everyone in their in their leadership team, and um, they've been doing book clubs where they'll read, you know, a couple of chapters every month for a few months, and then they'll have a discussion. And one of the the um, one of my clients, which is uh, Bernard's out of uh, Southern California, they're a large GC. They they contact me and they say, hey, Eric, can you come to our last book club meeting and do a QA and a on the book? And I was like, genius. I never even thought of that. So I said, sure, I'll come and do that. And so I've been doing that with people who purchase a bunch of the copies. I, I go for their last um, book club meeting and we do a QA and a and I give them a little bit of training and it's a great way just to you know get to know people a little bit. Cool.
2: That's a really cool idea. Is that is that leading to more clients? I mean, is that kind of a Bizgar it's tech right. effort it's too, like a really? total
1: marketing thing, right? So, you know, I pitch it, I mean, cause like an hour of my time, it's 2,500 bucks for an hour of my time. And if you buy 10 copies of my book, that's 200 bucks, you know, on Amazon and, you know, for 200 bucks, you get an hour of my time and, and um, I'll provide tremendous value to your team. And then, you know, you'll get to ask any questions that you like about the book. That's
2: pretty cool. So what's the, what's the biggest takeaway from the book or like maybe the biggest three takeaways kind of like the, the, I don't want to spoil it for people that you know don't want to go read the book, but what kind of, what's the, what's, what's some of the. One,
1: yeah. I've, I've actually shared one of them already with you and that's the ear framework. The ear framework is one of the okay. chapters in the book. Um, the next one that's very, very powerful is that high performance framework that I talked about. And then there's another one in there, which I think, uh, it really deserves some, some careful attention. And that's about how to run a kick ass meeting. Um, mm. As, as construction leaders, we're in meetings all day, every day. Really, that's what we do, is we're in meetings. And unfortunately, a lot of meetings suck. And, and the reason they suck is not why we think they suck. So I might think, my meetings suck because I'm a lousy facilitator. I don't know how to run effective meetings. Or my team sucks, and they don't want to come to agreement, right? They're always arguing. They're never being able to come to a place where we can say, OK, this is what we're going to do to overcome the problems on the project. Let's move forward. And neither of those things is true. Um, for the most part, people are actually pretty decent at running meetings and, um, the, their team wants to come to an agreement. It's the structure of the meeting, the structure of the meeting that needs to be addressed. And so in my book, uh, there's a chapter on kick-ass meetings and it's all about the structure that you need to put together in order to run an effective problem solving meeting. And you can do it all in about an hour to go from a blank piece of paper to a one-page action plan that you commit to, to solve the problem that you're looking to address.
2: That's probably worth the price of admission itself.
1: It, 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 it is. And it's interesting because I've built my whole business on, on that one, uh, framework I, I is, is going in and I've, I've done this for over. 20 years with um, construction companies I go in and I teach them how to use this framework to run their own meetings when it comes to problem solving and it's tremendously powerful. And does it um, does this particular framework does it work for
0: I mean kind of any kind of meeting or like, like like certain specific types of meetings you know you're trying to do you know I don't know maybe answer questions on a scope versus a meeting to talk about budget I mean does it does it make a difference?
1: Um, yeah, it, it, it works specifically for problem solving. So let's say we're on a project together and and um, there is a problem with schedule. You know so in, in what you do is you then you, you ask in what specific ways can we improve our execution of the project to meet the schedule? So you frame the question and the key to that question is the word specific. because what you're looking to do is you're looking to get specific, the more specific you can be in the answers to the question, about the problem that you're looking to solve, the more actionable you can be. And so you give people two minutes to come up with as many ideas as they can in answer to the question, once you've identified the problem clearly. And they write as many answers as, as they can come up with. Then after two minutes, you just ask them, can you please put a check mark next to your top two ideas? So they, first they come up with a big list of ideas. Then they narrow those ideas down. Then you go around the room and you collect one at a time. Everybody's top two ideas. And typically if you're in a meeting with, let's say six to eight people, you'll have a list of 12 to 15 ideas. So then you look at the list, it's on our flip chart or a whiteboard or a computer screen, and you say, okay, I want you to pick, if there's 15 ideas, I want you to pick your top five. In other words, a third of the total number of ideas on the board, pick your top five, okay? And what you'll find, this is fascinating to me, is people will go through the voting process. And they will will surface, after the voting process, typically two or three of the ideas that you've identified. And probably about 95% of the time, one idea will get the most votes. So then you point to that idea, and you say this. By a show of hands, if we agree that we're going to execute this idea to overcome the problem that we identified, how many people would support that by a show of hands? And 99% of the time, everyone raises their hands. And the only time they don't is when they're just not clear on a couple of things that they need to clarify. So the purpose of this framework is to help people go from a blank piece of paper to unanimous agreement on how to overcome a challenge. And you can do that part of the meeting when you learn how to run it in about 37 minutes.
2: is it is the magic in the in the fact that it feels like everyone feels like they had a part of the process everyone feels like they had their voice heard and so now they have you nailed it
1: yeah you nailed it man you've got to weigh in before you buy it and well, you'll find what yeah yeah go ahead kyle yeah no
0: i i, I was just gonna say too I, I mean if i was the facilitator to me that's also great because i'm not trying to guess what people are thinking they're telling me
1: mm-hmm. and that's the thing yeah. especially as a leader. So. As a leader, people work harder for their ideas than they do for your ideas. And so if I'm facilitating that meeting as the leader and my guys and gals are giving me all the ideas and I look at those ideas and I'm, I'm good with at least some of them, and then they pick the ideas and I'm good with that, then they've done all the work and I've led but I haven't led in the sense of command and control. I've led in a collaborative way. And and we know in the construction culture today, command and control is going away and collaboration is the key. And this framework helps you as a leader to create a collaborative environment to help to reach agreements on how to overcome issues. Very good. Very powerful. No,
2: I like that. That's always, you know, whenever you're sitting in a meeting like that too, and you're kind of brainstorming, it's always, you know, always try to make sure you know no one feels like their idea is a dumb idea right just any idea you have let's put it on the paper because you know kyle might have some sort of half-baked idea i have some sort of dumb idea eric has another half-baked idea but you take a little piece of these three half-baked dumb ideas and you put them together and that's like that's where the magic is
1: yeah i agree and that's one of the keys in running an effective meeting is setting very strong ground rules and one of the ground rules that i have is there's no bad ideas so you don't yeah. get to Now, we know that we're going to filter through them, right? So we're not being stupid, saying, oh, there's no bad ideas. No, we know that some ideas aren't as good as others, but you're giving everyone permission to share their ideas. And so the three ground rules is, number one, if you're invited to the meeting, you are expected to participate, okay? There's no courtesy invites here. Number two, no distractions. So we have to put down the crack pipe, right? We're not going to be hitting the crack pipe during the meeting. And for you on audio, I'm holding up my phone. This is our crack pipe. So no crack pipes. And then the last one is no mocking of ideas from people. There's no bad ideas. Let's share those ideas and let's do some work here.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely love the framework because um, especially like, like sites that we're trying to bring lean construction to, you know, lean is big on respect and it's big on collaboration. And like you I mean, it's enabling everybody to bring the best ideas forward because everybody collectively is going to have better ideas than just me because it, other people are closer to the problems than I am to their individual issues, their individual areas. So getting their information extracted in a way that benefits the whole group, that's the ultimate goal. So your, your framework's perfect.
1: Right on. Yeah. You nailed it. there
2: kind of, that's great. And you say like, you know, it, it solves any sort of problem solving meeting and like really any sort of meeting you can turn into a problem solving meeting. If you frame. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's true.
1: That's true. But again, you know, it's, it's, it is specifically for problem solving. And if you what you can do is if you're in a meeting and you identify a problem, you maybe weren't intending to, but it comes up, you can use this framework and immediately pivot into a problem solving discussion. I got you.
2: you have any ideas of how to keep, you know, maybe, you know, cause there's, certain, there's really two sort of meetings that I have in my mind, right? You either have a, a problem solving meeting or you have more of like an informational meeting where like, I'm, right, I'm going to present something to you and Kyle, right. I'm going to explain X, Y, and Z to you. Maybe it's a project update. Maybe it's a, maybe we're restructuring the company. I'm just gonna explain it to you. Right. Um, do you have any ideas of how to lead an effective, say information? Um, the only meeting? thing
1: I would say there is have a clear agenda. Um, including how long it's going to take and then stick to that agenda.
2: That's the worst. I've been a part of a lot of meetings where it's just a rambling agenda and it's an hour long on your calendar and it ends up taking an hour and a half all the time. And those are just, you you must,
1: you must be respectful of other people's times. or time and you, and, and you have to understand that when people are working, that's costing your, 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 uh, company, excuse me, when people are in meetings, that that's costing your company a lot of money and so you must be respectful of people's time
0: definitely true definitely true eric i have a question for you and and just to share kind of a short story before i get into my question Um, so recently on a site actually and this this is a real real experience i'm sharing Um, so listeners take take note of this and learn from my mistakes um i brought a construction manager on on a project that i was running and you know they were somebody who has 30 years of experience in the industry so you know, double double what I have in the industry. Um, they come from a GC background, very versed, very, very great experience, very personable person. They were you know great fit for the role. Where we didn't execute very well was on the communication side with the customer, with the other contractors. So this particular person liked to send a lot of emails. We're talking blasting out 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 emails a day, which is good because you want to document things. But if you do it too much, it has a negative effect as well. So on my end of things where I screwed up was I came into this thinking this person's got way more experience than I do. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. I didn't even think to talk about communication methods and the right and better ways to do it or, you know, maybe ground zero to start from. Um, And and, and Eric, my question to you is, have you seen something like that before? And if you have, um, have you also seen it where maybe um, different age groups Play a factor so for example in my in, you know my case i'm working with somebody who's you know twice my age so trying to you know I, it puts me in kind of a weird position trying to lead somebody that is older than i am so i'm just kind of curious get your thoughts on something like that because i feel it's something that listeners are going to see as well as they come up
1: it's very interesting you say that um because it's almost as if in, in many of my experiences the scenarios flipped a little bit with a younger person um, being way more comfortable with email or text communication and avoiding phone or face-to-face communication. So it's interesting there. Um, what I would say is that um, whether you're a young person or an older person, construction is a, a human game. And you've, you've got to get as human as possible. And the best types of communication, the most effective, are either verbal or face-to-face. And by, when I say verbal, I mean over the phone. And I think you could probably, particularly when there's a conflict, if you're just exchanging information, that's one thing. But if there's a conflict, instead of being the email warrior, you know, that CCing people, and this is one of the things that you see sometimes is like fools be flaming people yeah. on email and CCing everyone, and it's like, please, this is not how you build relationships. You got an issue, get in your truck, drive out to the job site, talk to the dude. Um, and, and that's one thing that I advocate strongly is, um, face to face communication is the best. Definitely agree. I think Kyle, maybe Kyle, it's, if I may, sorry, Matt, if I may speak to leading no. someone who's older than you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I would do there is I would be, I would show, I, want, I would want to show them respect. Um, But what you've got to understand is that you have a duty as a leader, regardless of the age. And you should assume that most old people are going to have a hard time hearing something from a younger person. Mm -hmm. And you just should just assume that. Yep. Um, and, And you've got to kind of embrace that and just go right into it and come respectfully with your conversation but make sure that you don't compromise what needs to be said. Feels
2: very interesting. On that, Eric, kind of taking that, taking it tying in what we were talking about earlier. So how you have some good advice for somebody who may have been, you know, you, you've got peers, right? You may be different ages, you may be different whatever, but you got peers and if you get promoted, now all of a sudden your peers are reporting to you, that creates some awkwardness. It can create some offense, I assume, right? So you have any advice or thoughts of kind of how to manage those? It's so
1: interesting. I was, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some training for uh, granite construction, uh, which is a a large civil engineering, civil contractor and the field, the field guys in there, they were saying exactly the same thing. You know, these are guys who come up through the field. So they know what it means to put in a hard day's work and get promoted into a field leadership Mm -hmm. position. And immediately, they go from peer to boss or from buddy to boss. And how do they handle that? And and I think the only thing you can say in those circumstances is that you, you have to understand what your duty is and do your duty. And it's not necessarily going to feel comfortable. And there aren't any magic pills. But you have to be willing to, to, um, to do what um, you need to do as a leader. And I think one of the keys is this. Don't be um, ashamed by your new role when someone gets promoted into a new role they feel sometimes that they have to prove to the the guys that they're not um, too big for their boots anymore and so what they do then is unfortunately they get into either micromanagement or doing somebody else's job instead of doing their job as a leader so you have to understand your role and responsibility in your new position Give yourself permission to do that role and responsibility. That doesn't mean you can't help people out or anything like that, but you've been promoted for a reason. Um, you have a new role to execute, be clear on what that role is and then execute that role.
2: Yeah, that can be a very tricky situation, right? When you're you're your old beer drinking buddies and now you're there, you're their boss, and so especially the, it makes even more difficult conversations because now you get even if you got a course correct or you know um, really sort of mentor to try to like what's the word I'm looking for, kind of you know if, if they're not performing right and you have to like help them perform better. So
1: and you may
2: you, know, it's, you may need to sit down
1: with each one of them and say, hey, listen, you know this is this is what we were before, this is what we are now, and again, I know that none of this is easy. None of this is easy because we're dealing with people. You've got to do something, though, either in your and particularly in your behavior. You've got to do something to um, to make the distinction between who you were previously and who you are now. And then you just have to be consistent in your behavior. One of the worst things you can do is go from buddy to boss, buddy to boss, buddy to boss, and not just stand in that position that you're in and unashamedly be who you're supposed to be. And it's not because you're better than them or you're, you know, whatever, it's not that it's just, this is my role. This is your role. I'm going to do my role and I'm going to hold you accountable for your role. It's not personal. It's just what we're doing here in the business right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that just kind of, if you stay in that, but even those relationships, you know, if you were buddies and you are buddies, you stay buddies and you can even ease some tensions, maybe. I mean, maybe makes it worse. I don't know. Never been in a yeah, position. It could,
1: it could um, you know, especially if you know each other well, but I found, you know, I was talking to one of my clients yesterday and, you know, he's a, he's like a, a general superintendent. He's leading some superintendents in the field. And one of the guys is, is related to him <laughs> <laughs> and it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. You know, cause you know, sometimes I gotta have difficult conversations and here, here am I talking to my brother-in-law about a difficult conversation and it ain't going that well, you know? And then now we're going to barbecue on Sunday, and that's going to suck. So it's challenging. I don't think there's an easy answer um, to this one, Matt. But other than know your role, do your role, and don't be ashamed of that.
0: And, and just to add in there what Eric is kind of saying there, working for family, too, has a whole new level of complexity. I worked for my dad and my brother for years. I, I couldn't do it anymore, so I had to quit and become an electrician. <laughs> and So that's what got me into the trades. And it is tough. And I can imagine they said the same thing about me. Working with me was tough, too. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So Eric, I got a question for you. Um, would you say that you've seen a, a, a you know a couple of skills, maybe maybe top two or three that are um, you know pretty common ones that need development that some of the listeners maybe could start thinking about as they're as they're coming up?
1: Yeah. So the, the first one is how to delegate effectively, and, and let me give you an illustration of that. Um, there's a difference between delegation and abdication. So when I'm delegating to someone, I have to ask three things. Number one, am I clear? About what it is that I'm delegating. And that goes back a little bit to some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier. I I do things that are instinctual um, and I just do them and I might just articulate them to someone in a very vague way. And I need to think about how clear I'm being in my articulation of the task to the person that I'm delegating to. The second thing I need to ask myself is um, are they capable of doing this task? In other words, Do they have the training that they need, the technical requirement to do this task? So I'll give you an illustration. I have a 15 inch cast iron skillet that I like to cook in, right? So I'll do, you know, my sauces and all that kind of stuff when I'm I'm not working. Um, I don't ask my eight year old to clean the 15 inch cast iron skillet. He's simply not capable of manipulating it without banging it on the counter and all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, And so that's another thing, are they capable? And then the the last question, and I think this is often missed, is do they have the capacity? And what I mean by that is the bandwidth. One of the mistakes we make in delegation is is I I, um, I see one of my A players, and I say, hey, can you do this? And the A player says, yes. And then I give them another task and another task. And pretty soon, their A performance begins to dip because they're overcapacitated. I've given them too much Mm -hmm. to do. So I must when I'm delegating am I clear are they capable do they have the capacity if I can answer those questions then I can clearly articulate and delegate effectively
0: let me ask you a question really quick um and uh, you know again speaking from experience on this one um and for the listener's sake is how do you kind of find that line between delegating clearly and micromanaging for example Mm -hmm. I have a task I need somebody to do I trust them to do the task but it does need to be done at least to a certain, certain way or a certain method for it to be effective. But I also, yes, I don't want way. to control it because if I'm controlling it and doing everything about it, I'll just do it myself. It's quicker and easier. So you know, how, how do you, how do you find skirt that fine line there? That gray area?
1: It's a beautiful question. Um, the first thing that you've got to ask is what is good enough yeah. and who defines what is good enough? Okay. And it's interesting because I was, I was again, chatting with one of my clients today, and we were talking about what is good enough, who defines that? And we came to the conclusion that the customer ultimately defines what's good enough, yep. okay? Yep. And obviously taking into account safety and all that kind of stuff, so I'm not just saying, you know, just throw something up there. But the customer will tell you whether or not it's good enough. The problem that many leaders have is because they're so good at what they do, they can execute what's good enough very quickly or even beyond what's good enough in an efficient way. The people who report to them, they're not as good as them. And so let's say what you do is 100 and what the person you delegate to is an 80 and you see the gap between the 100 and the 80 and that frustrates you. And so you wanna get in there and, and help them with that. But at the end of the day, the 80 is good enough for the client, so just leave them alone. Yeah. So if you can figure out what's good enough, and they can do that, then feel free to delegate and then just get out of the way.
0: You you put it a lot a lot better than I could think to do it because I've that's been my my biggest learning in the in the last year is that perfection is my thing. The client doesn't care yes. about perfection. They don't care.
1: Yes. yes. They don't even know what perfection is. Yeah. Right? They don't even know what it is. And and and, and so with that in mind. Let's just keep focused on that and give ourselves permission to do what's good enough. hundred percent.
2: Wow. So many times we do these podcasts and it's such a timely conversation about something. I was talking to somebody earlier about something very similar. So it's kind of a, I'm going to send this podcast to him next week when it comes out. <laughs> but no, it's true. Cause like a lot of times, you know, the client, I mean, you, you may go way overboard and the client doesn't care. You're spending a lot of wasted effort on something and they're like, okay, cool. And you're just wasting, your just literally wasting time because you're giving them a hundred and they really only want yeah. 50.
1: Another thing to think about there, Kyle, and also an answer to your question is um, to lead by outcomes instead of activities. Mm. And so if you can, and again, this is, this is, you know, it's going to sound magic pill like, but it's not a magic pill. If you can, If you can clearly articulate what it is that you want the outcome to be, and then the parameters within which the person is supposed to conduct themselves to achieve that outcome, then let them figure out how they're going to get there, if they're competent enough to do that. And just if it's not exactly the way that you would do it, who cares as long as they get to the outcome?
0: Well, absolutely, and, and that's great because I, I try to be a hands-off manager as much as I can because, to me, having the people on board is, like you talked about earlier, it's their opportunity to grow and develop as well as the second thing, which is important for me, it gets me out of it so that I can focus on other things. And so I yes. need the people to do it themselves, get confident, get comfortable, know how to do it the right way so they can just execute going forward.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing that you just said there, right? If I'm working with people, a team that is not confident, the the reason why they're not confident is because they're not competent. So there's a connection between being able to do something and then getting a level of confidence there. And so you've got to get them reps doing it, even if it doesn't go exactly to plan, so they can build that confidence over time.
2: Well said. Well said. So back to your example a minute ago, we were talking about you know, Kyle or Kyle's the hundred, right. And he's delegating to somebody who's the 80 and the client really only wants the 80 and that's good enough. He can go do something else. How much time do you spend coaching and mentoring? And I mean, not coming down on them obviously, but like if the 80% is good enough, but really working with them to get them to the hundred point.
1: So, so you've got to ask the question, is that hundred point useful? Is it useful? So perhaps you might be with a particular client where the 80 is good enough, but maybe you've got another client where they're more 90, 95. And with that in mind, or a project type, it may not be the client, it might be a project type. And with that in mind, yeah. you can you can have the perspective in terms of development that, okay, today your 80 is good enough, but listen, we want to get you to 95 and this is how you get there. So you've got to, you've got to kind of figure that out and balance
2: it. I guess that's true too, because it could be a role too, right? If you're like an assistant project manager, maybe 60 is good enough for what you're handling, Right. But then if you want to become a, P, a PM, you need to be at the yeah. 80, right? And then if you want to become a project executive, you need to be at the 90. So kind of each stage, maybe of the your career, you're, you're mentoring them to be at the next stage. Yeah, I'm
1: not trying to discourage um, high performance.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: what I'm trying to do is to, um, it, it's more of a framework from a leader's perspective to stop them from micromanaging. That's what I'm looking for, to get to there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just realized everything I'm doing, I can drop it down to a, part no, of you a no, you <laughs> cannot, no, you cannot, no, no. Marty called me, no, you cannot. <laughs> when you see this podcast go out next week and like, I just, uh, half the words are misspelled and everything else, like, you know, 45 yeah. is good enough. <laughs> yeah,
1: and so that's, that's another thing that you've always got to do with, uh, like I say, I tell my clients this all the time, there are no magic pills. I'm gonna give you some frameworks here. What I'd like you to do is to think about how can I adapt and use these for my particular situation with my particular set of people because that's how you're going to get the most value out of any kind of advice that you're getting from someone because it's not exactly what you're doing. It's like I was talking to one of my clients today, and, and he's in one of those peer groups, right? Um, and the peer groups are tremendous. And he went up to visit this one guy, and this guy is killing it, right? He's killing it. He's making like $4 million of profit every year on a $30 million uh, revenue. And And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, Okay, that's cool, but you're not him, right? What he's doing is great, but you can't mimic everything that he's doing because your market's different, your company's different, you're different. And so you've got to take what people are doing and see it and say, that's cool, but then you have to think about how to adapt it to your particular situation.
2: Before we wrap up here, we're getting close to the end. Um, you know, this whole podcast is really meant to be a, and we've touched on a lot of stuff to help, but it's really meant to be a resource, kind of for the next generation, kind of coming yeah. up in the industry. Do you have any specific advice that you would tell, say, someone fresh out of college that, like, this is what you need to do to be successful? Yeah. In so when
1: you start, you have um, no skills and no friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> so even if you've got a nice shiny CM degree from the best college in town. You don't know Jack, and when you walk onto a construction uh, project site and you see that grizzled superintendent or foreman, they think that you don't know anything either. So get over that real quick and look to serve, right? Really ask yourself, what can I do if you're a project engineer to make my PM's life easier and my my, uh, superintendent and my foreman's life easier? What can I do today? Whatever I need to do, I'm going to do that. If someone asks me to do something, I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to execute it as well as I can. And then I'm going to look for something else to do. So I'm going to be on the front foot looking to build my technical skills and my relationships with people. And I'm going to show up every day and work really, really hard. Great advice.
2: Man, I love it. I don't know if we can top it. So I think we're just going to end it there. (laughs) Eric, it's it's been been a pleasure, man. You're welcome back. It's been great.
1: Great. Appreciate it, man.
2: If anybody, Um, if anybody wants to find you, Um, they can find me
1: um, on my website, constructiongenius.com. You can go to um, the uh, LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a podcast as well, constructiongenius.net. And then of course, you can buy the book. I'm holding it up here. And uh, as you can see the title there, Construction Genius, Effective, Hands-On, Practical, Simple, No BS, Leadership, Strategy, Sales, and Marketing Advice. Those are ways that you can get to know me a little bit and and, uh, learn more about what I do.
2: And how many books do we have to buy to have you come to, uh, you to do a Q&A with us? If you buy 10,
1: right. 10 or more, then um, I'll come in. You just shoot me an email and um, I'll come in via Zoom. And for an hour, I'll spend time with you guys doing a and a on the book and then also doing a little training session. And what we'll actually do is we'll take the meeting framework that I talked about earlier. We'll identify a problem that you want to work on and we'll walk through that meeting framework during the uh, Zoom session. It'll be tremendously helpful to you guys. Super that's awesome that's such a good resource
2: well eric i appreciate it man you're welcome back anytime thank you so much appreciate it guys